2: hey there next fans how you doing it's your boy john of the Macri with you for another episode of the next film school podcast um joined by before i get to when we're recording this because that there's a whole story there um joined by my co-host as always uh for these monday episodes and and lately some more episodes which uh, hopefully will be um even more as as time goes by
3: jeremy cohen hello mr cohen hello mr Macri. (laughs) that was a very cordial exchange thanks yeah um how are you um
2: I'm good. I was just lamenting to you that it has rained all day and uh, it's just, you know, when you have kids, the rain especially sucks because it just limits all of the things that you can do to occupy your almost five-year-old um, and uh, they are in the house with you and they can't go anywhere and you can't just like send them somewhere. And it's uh, it's just an unfortunate turn of events. So other than that, though, I'm, I'm doing quite
3: well. How are you? i um- I'm kind of feeling like death, not gonna lie I, I was I into a uh, Johnson and Johnson shot yesterday and I am really feeling it so this is my flu game. let's bring it on um, but if i if I sound especially delirious, there's a particular reason why, but yeah, let's uh, so, what, so what you're saying is I'm gonna need to carry you, which is fine. I mean, I mean okay. look, I didn't want to say it point blank but <laughs> Then again, I thought that was kind of implicit based on every Monday episode that we've had. <laughs> That's what you say, anyway. But when I say it, it's very funny. I'm an asshole, but whatever. Um, what was Scotty's? I mean, we Jordan had like a
2: great line in that game. What was Scotty's line in that game? Because we, we all remember Scotty for helping Jordan off the court. I don't, Andrew. You want to look up what was Scotty's line in the flu game? Um, anyway, uh, so. Uh, I'll, 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 filibuster here for a minute, um, which will take up some, some time that Jeremy, you don't have to speak. So we, um, a little backstory. Before, so we're recording this it's five o'clock on Sunday. Um, and the Knicks play um, they tip off in a little bit under uh, three hours, actually probably a little bit over three hours. Cause these games actually don't start on time. They start fifteen minutes late. Um, and uh, Andrew, uh, our producer and Jeremy, and me were going back and forth a few days ago with like, well, when should we record? Because Jeremy made the very good point, And I agreed with him that like, if they lose the Raptors game, um, it kind of changes the. it feels like it should change the tenor of how, you know, we approach discussing this team. But then I was thinking about it and I'm like, well, Is that really true? And the reason why I was kind of pushing back on that is because I've been, and this is is going to lead us actually into our topic today, which is why I'm going through this little story. I've been getting a lot of DMs and I wrote about this in my, my newsletter on Saturday um, uh, from people, you know, in light of some of the recent close losses where people are like, look, they're playing hard. The team has clearly turned some kind of a corner, whatever corner that is. They have turned a corner. Um, you know, we've gotten what we've gotten from RJ from quickly. Randall's obviously become a, a thing like, does, would it be the worst thing in the world if they just dropped a lot of close games down the stretch? One, a few, you know, here and there, but you know, dropped a lot of close games down the stretch. And um, so we were, we were talking about this in our, in our group uh, text chain, and we decided to make this the conversation for today, which is essentially, what? how much does the rest of this season matter? Um, but we are also splitting the baby. So um, you're going to hear uh, about a half an hour's worth of discussion from us now on, on this and a couple other little things. And then we're actually going to record a second half of this podcast after the game. So um, if and But we're specifically going to focus on, like, well, were we right? Whatever we're going to say over the next half hour, we're going to put ourselves to the test, and we're going to put ourselves on the spot, and we're going to see, like, Did the Raptors game have any effect? Um, That said, if you want to hear a traditional post game, that'll show up elsewhere on your feed, um, as we always have been doing of late, um, turning the live streams into podcasts. So with that as the backdrop, um, Jeremy Cohen, you were the one who was like, no, if they lose to a shitty Raptors team, that's going to make a big difference. Um, Do you, after I've given my opening introduction, my opening statement, I guess, Um, Do you want to push back on that or or
3: I'll, I'll throw it to you here? I'm conflicted as well. Honestly, I think that my main goal going into this year was anything goes right. Team does well. Great. Team doesn't do well. Top pick awaiting their future. And then you kind of get into this area where it's like, are they going to be too good to get a good pick? Are they going to be not good enough? And you know, there's this kind of common thought of, The worst thing in the NBA is to be mediocre, be in that middle range. But I think the biggest difference is that essentially it'd be different depending on where they're at, because we're looking at a team that whether they make the playoffs or not, is going to have around $50 million in cap space, a young player that they can build around Um, another, I mean, an RJ Barrett, others, you know, who had a pretty good, uh, Pretty good night on Saturday, we should probably say. <laughs> pretty, pretty good, yep. Uh, Julius Randle turning into an all-star, and I know that his last uh, 15 or so games have overall been pretty not great, but he's still had more for, for Julius Randall for what we came to expect over the first 40 games. Right. I believe he's, his true shooting percentage in that time is down by about 7% compared to where he was before. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's that sort of thing where it's not great, but he was just doing so well that there's an understandable drop-off. So with all that being said, this idea of, of kind of going crazy over these losses, shrug like <laughs> I'm sure. doing it, but but for people who aren't watching, like, Jeremy's actually shrugging. shrugging. He's shrugging as much yeah. as he can in his diminished state. Right.
2: Um, Yeah, no. I And, and but I do want to, you may forget that you typed this because you're again, your head's in uh, a uh, vaccine induced fog right now, but you made a good point, which is that like, there do seem to be as much as our brains can process everything I just said and, and what you just said. And like, logically we could think that at some points during a season like this, even after you've gotten over the hump that I think we agree the Knicks have gotten over based on everything we both just said, like it does seem like there are some inflection points that are more important than others. And, I think there is definitely a symbolism to this game um, that again, will have been played by the time you were listening to this, because if they win, they get back to 500 with exactly a quarter of the season left to go. So this is the 50, I Correct me if I'm wrong. I think this is the 54th game of the season. Cause yeah, if they win. They'll be 27 and 27 and they will have kind of, I think they will have maybe not vanquished the team that has not only given them the most fits, but I think you could argue been, they've been the most successful team in their division for the you know most recent past, um, yeah, and I, I, that would be really important um, for the Knicks to do that to the Raptors. Get back to five hundred. On the other hand, if they lost, it would be like you know again, you had this chance and you blew it. And now you're two games under 500 and like, it's another loss against a good team. And they got lucky on Saturday night, maybe to, to win that game. Did Memphis play their best on the street? And you get into all the same questions and all the same bullshit that like, we don't, we have enjoyed not having to talk about. Um, With that being said, I am, I am of the, I am of the opinion just like you are that there's not much, that could happen for the rest of the season. That would really like, unless they just came like. So I'll give you this, and we'll, and this will give us a good chance to talk about Saturday night. How they came out of the gate on Saturday was, to me, a little worrisome. Like it was the first time I felt, all, which is part of what made the win so great, right? Um, among other things, they came out of the gate not a hundred percent ready to play. And how many times have you really been able to say that about the Knicks this year? Right, you, I feel like you counted on one hand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so if they did more of that moving forward, I think we'd be worried. But sh- other than that, and I guess like you know, an individual player really falling off a cliff in terms of their efficiency or something like that. But other than that, like what what could really happen? To like, how many wins would it take for for this to for the for the positive feel of the season to completely go, go down the
3: toilet? It's tough, you know, because here's the way I look at it: if with the schedule that's looming. And I know we've been saying that and they're still here, still around 500. So that okay um great. But this idea where it almost will feel still like a lose-lose. Uh, on one hand, you either have a team that did really well in the first half and then sees a drop off in the second half. It's like, well, I was looking for the playoffs and now you're telling me that we have to maybe get a play-in game, which again, I don't see Toronto getting to the 10th seed where, where the Knicks fall to 11th. So i I think the Knicks are at the worst going to be the 10th seed in the East, which is fine, but crazier things have happened. So you really never know. Um, Or the other factor where it's like, if the Knicks had been losing through a lot of the first half and then started winning in the second half, they'd be killed for not sticking with the plan of like, well, we were losing. So let's just continue kind of doing that thing. And we saw that last year where the Knicks were just flat out terrible. And you have one side of fans saying like, why couldn't they just have stayed terrible that Hawks game completely changed the outcome um, or, you know, like at least it would have helped. You could move up in some sort of manner. Yeah. Again, like all of like, that's the thing to me. And and I know we'll talk about Brian Windhorst and what he yeah, had we'll, to say. We'll
2: get there in a second. Yeah.
3: But just this idea of everything is so cramped and I feel like it's very confined to it's like, all right, the range is basically what? 11, like 11th pick to the 18th, 17th. And I know that that drastically differs, but you also have to think about the playoff factor because again, if you have all of this money to spend and you need to, in my opinion, use it and you need to make these upgrades, then selling free agents on the prospect of winning is probably better than being like, well, we got the 11th pick and we lost in the play-in tournament versus we made the playoffs. And even though we stunk up the joint, you know, assuming they tar- you know, they get one of Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee or whatever, then, you know, that's, that's at least a compelling statement of we took this step forward. I, um, yeah, no, I I'm ju- I'm hearing you out and just
2: hearing you s- verbalize the, the mere possibility that they can miss the plan. If they miss the in and they got a top four pick, that's a different, that's a different story. That's a completely different animal. But again, if they miss the plan, in even if, sorry, I should say, even if they miss the plan, the odds of that, of them getting a top four pick are still going to be at best one in four, or one, no, one in five, probably. Maybe they get closer to one in four, um, depending on how some of these teams out West do in terms of like passing them. In the, but like- Emphasis on at best, by the way. At absolute best. Um, because of, and for anybody who doesn't know, it's like you either get you either get one of your lottery combinations Pulled for the top four; otherwise, you get slotted in with with wherever you finish. So, like, there's no realistic scenario where the Knicks are going to finish any worse worse than like the 10th worst record in the in the league this year. So, um, putting that scenario aside, if they miss the play in, I actually do that would be devastating for the. I think that would be devastating for the franchise. Um, Even if if I'm trying to think of like if they got ninth or 10th, and they And they like got blown out by, I don't know, give me a team. The Bulls, the Hornets. Like, if they got blown out by one of those teams in the play in game and it was like, okay, so we, what, what do we just do the last 72 games? What was the purpose? Like, I could see that being, I think they need to get to the play in and I think they need to have a, they need to show up and I think they need to play a decent play in game. I don't even think they necessarily need to win a play in game. I think they do need to show up and I think they need, I love how Andrew. Andrew,
1: do you want to just meet yourself and chime in because you clearly want to. Well, first of all, Jeremy, uh, kudos to you because this is indeed a flu game, and I have no idea how you're operating today. I had I like either. some like trouble breathing after my first vaccine. You're feeling all of the effects, and just kudos to you. Um, I don't think like any of it matters, to be honest. Like, the Nets and all the culture bullshit that they preached, it was off of one season and winning one playoff game. Like, the Knicks, yes, if they miss the play-in and they finish 11th, that's bad, because it shows that maybe there was some fool's gold with the first half of the season. But if they make the play-in, this is a team that was expected to win 22 games. Like, like you've won. Like Winhorst is onto something so like with the whole like that's what a successful season looks like. You want to read? Let's, should. Go let's ahead. say what Take he it said. Away.
2: Yeah, no, let's okay, Okay, because this is really what it comes down to. So windhorse went on the jump this week,
1: which I didn't see. Thank thank you, uh, to Andrew for I don't do you watch the jump, Andrew, or do you just go No, on to it? just Because I had run some of our social, I tried to make sure like if it says Knicks, I retweeted from the Knicks account, Knicks Film School account. And someone put that up was like, well, that's it's a talking point. Whether I agree with it or not is, is, yeah, no, it's a talking point. It's a conversation, you know?
2: Well, for those for anybody like me who didn't see this, um, uh, I'll say what it is. So he made the comment that the most successful version of the Knicks season would be to lose in the play in tournament and have a chance at a top four pick. Um. Essentially, that's what he what he said. He, he thinks like they've accomplished what they need to accomplish already. And now he he, I, he didn't maybe say this in as many words, but he sure it's seemed to me like he was implying like more losses might actually be better for them at this point, which I can't. I can't get behind that and say that it would be better like I, the notion that they would go out there tonight and lose this game. To me, just I cannot wrap my head around that being a good thing in any way, shape, or form. Jeremy, is that nuts for me to say that, or are you are you with me here?
3: I don't think it's that nuts in the sense of what is this team that would be showing up against the Knicks? It would be the Raptors. Um, who are some of the per- the players who are performing at high levels for Toronto? Uh, Gary Trent Jr. drafted in the second round. Malachi hmm. Flynn drafted in the end of the first round. Kyle Lowry drafted in the end of the first round. Pascal Siakam end of the first round. So this idea of, you know, needing to get to that position. The reason that I laughed at what Windhorse was saying was because it's such a pie in the sky thing. Like, Oh yeah. The best thing for them is to lose. And then like, let's say they have, and I'm looking now we want to say they're 10th at best in the the 10th worst record in the NBA. That is a 13.9% chance of going to the top four.
2: Oh, okay. So, so I, mean, I, over, I overstated it before. That's my r- fault.
3: No, but it's, it's just so slim. And of course, you know, I mean, the Lakers were the 11th the eleventh pick and they, they skyrocketed th- up to the fourth. Teams the have seventh moved, and eighth moved up in of oh, last year. Every the seventh year moved up before. From this, right. you know, range. So, but yeah. just this idea of, oh, well, you know, they'll just lose in the play-in tournament and then they'll move up in the top four. That's kind of like, I don't know, like your wife saying to you, John, okay. you can have a hall pass, but the only person is going to be Jamie Lynn Spears. Like, yeah, sure. You could, you could absolutely have that accomplished, but I'm sorry, buddy. I just don't think the odds are too good. Okay.
2: First of all, I, I don't think that highly of myself. I think I would have a chance with Jamie Lynn Spears. I
3: didn't say you wouldn't. I just, I don't think it would be a 13.9% chance. The odds of you getting into the same room as Jamie Lynn Spears, making a move on her and then successfully landing Jamie Lynn Spears in your clutches. Listen, I just, um, I don't think it's 13.9%. I agree. It's not zero. It's not zero. You have a chance.
2: It's a good thing. I'm a happily married man, because otherwise I would take that as a challenge. Um, But it's neither here nor there. Um, Anyway, Jamie Lynn, if you're out there again, big fan, um just just want that in order for the record. Okay. Um I have completely lost my train of thought. Okay. So uh, how about this uh, before we before we move my kids upstairs. Um before we move on to uh, doing a little progress report, um I want to ask you I'm putting you on the spot. I didn't tell you I was going to do this. Um I want to ask you a, a trivia question. You ready for the trivia question? Yes. Um and this I'm, I'm going to be writing about this later this week, but um, I'm going to preview it right now. So there is this notion, I think, amongst people that the way you do things in the NBA traditionally, right, is it's a slow build. <laughs> Apologies for that again. I don't know what my wife and older, hopefully it's my older daughter, not my not my younger one, um, are doing upstairs. Anyway, there's this notion that you like, you don't make the playoffs and then you get to a point where you make the playoffs, but you lose in the first round. And then that's a stepping stone. And then the following year, you make the playoffs again, except you win in the first round and you make it to the second or further. Right. How many teams over the last two decades, 20 years. Okay. So we're talking about, again, four, four rounds in each four, rather eight. Yeah. So four lower seeds in each conference or four first round losers in each conference. So eight, times 20. It's a lot. Okay. How many teams do you think didn't make the playoffs? And then in the next year, they made the playoffs and lost in the first round. And then the year immediately after that, they made the playoffs again and won one additional round, at least how many times do you think that's happened in the last 20 years? So out of 160, eight times, uh, eight times 20. Yeah. So hundred out of 160.
3: I'm going to say that happened where they lost in the first round, and then moved up the next year. The gradual increase, improvement. Yeah. So no,
2: no playoffs. Following year, playoffs lost in first round. Following year, playoffs won the first round and then lost at some point after that. I'm going to say 70 times. Is that is that just way too much? Six. Wow, that was way too much. It's happened exactly six times in the last. Twenty years of NBA basketball. Um, I could give you the. I could give you the teams actually. So and 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 actually, um, a couple of them deserve an asterisk. For instance, um, 2009, 2010, Oklahoma City Thunder, 50 wins. They were in eighth, They were in a three-way tie with two other teams who won 50 games. They ended up as the a seed, lost to the Lakers in the first round. They had not made the playoffs the year before that. Um, I would argue that if they had been a six or a seven seed, they probably would have won in the first round, right? Um, the other asterisk, 2010-2011 Philadelphia 76ers. Um, that was the year they were the eighth seed. Mr. Rose mm-hmm. tore his ACL, first round of the playoffs. So that Sixers team had made it to the first round, lost in the first round the prior year, and then because by virtue of the Rose injury, they beat the Bulls that year. So really, really, it it's almost kind of like it's happened four times. And I'll tell you what those four times were. 2006, 2007, Orlando Magic, um, which is the early Dwight years. So Dwight those, the, the, uh, didn't make the playoffs, made the playoffs. And then um, there was a coaching change there, too, which is also interesting. Stan Van Gundy uh, replaced Brian Hill. Uh, 2007, 2008, Atlanta Hawks, our good friend Mike Woodson, Took the traditional path. No playoffs for a few years, more wins each time. Um, and then 2010, 2011, Indiana Pacers, um, where Mike uh, or Frank Vogel was hired in midseason. And then most recently, the 2018 19 Los Angeles Clippers, where um, no playoffs, scrappy team made the playoffs. And then they got Kawhi and they made it to the second round last year. That's it. So, like, this notion that there's this traditional path that you're supposed to take where you where you you know step by step by step i think that there's maybe a little bit of falsehood to that that said it doesn't mean that like i think making the playoffs is a bad thing and i'm going to again I, like i said i'm going to write on this uh, at some point this week and and get into
3: it a little bit more but like i don't know just something to think about that's all yeah Well, we'll pretend I said 17 and not 70, Uh, but yes, I think that it's a good point, but these teams do obviously take steps moving forward, but you know, for the Knicks, I mean, if you still track the development as we've seen it, 2018, 19 season, the worst team in the NBA Yeah. following year, 1920, they were the sixth worst this year, right now they are what, the 15th worst at, at this very moment? And
2: I think they're like 13th in net rating. So you could even argue they're a little bit better than their record indicates.
3: Right. So there's progress. It, there's genuine growth. Yeah. And I think that there's probably no way that the Knicks are going to finish anywhere lower, as we've said, than 10th, which means that no matter what, they will have taken a step forward. And I think just looking at RJ Barrett and his strides has made that feel even more um, real. It, it doesn't feel kind of like, Ephemeral, it feels like an actual legitimate step forward. And same with Randall. And, you know, I, I think the other thing with Randall as well, because he has not been playing to the caliber of what he is, it has created some, it's called discourse, of the idea of keeping him, paying him. Yeah. I, I get it. But at the same time, I think we have to look at the grand scheme of things, which is that if you parse out the last 15 games, where it hasn't been terrible, just hasn't been great, yeah. versus the games preceding that, When you look at it all together, it's a pretty damn good player, someone who is deserving of being an all-star. Yes. So taking that into consideration, I think the hardest part about the conversation of losing games because they're still going to get that competitive play and experience anyway, versus getting to the playoffs and potentially getting swept and dealing with the draft pick situation is we don't know what the front office's plans are. In terms of this, even this summer. I mean, yes, obviously in the future, but it's hard for us to then be like, well, because of this, it changes everything. We just don't know what the setup's going to be because the Knicks are in a, I don't want to say unique situation because it's not unique, but they are one of a selected few by their own choosing who has affordability and flexibility to make various moves. And if they want to overpay a player, even on a one-year deal, they can do that. They have the ability and the means to do so. Is that, you know, going to change as a player going to say, well, you got swept in the first round, so I don't want to go to you versus, well, you lost in the play tournament. So I don't want to go to you. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's that big of a difference and it's hard for us to, to determine that there is at the end of the day, money is money. Uh, you know, cash rules, everything around me, <laughs> at least for the, for the players. And they're still going to see a, a clear need, and they're going to feel wanted. They're going to say, "Look at this step forward that we made in our first season under Thibodeau. We can do this, we, and we need you. And we can take that next step forward as well." Because seeing as how the fourth seed is so easy for the taking, and the teams around it are they're they're fine, but yeah, you can you know you can spend enough and have an upgrade to the point where you are a significant, legitimate fourth seeded team. It's just a matter of if you can attract that player. Well, you know, but that's that the gets- question: Wh- who is that player? It's it's tough to say.
2: Well, and that gets into what you said before, which is the worst thing you could be in the NBA is a middling, mediocre team if you don't have a path out of mediocrity, and that's the key. And that's where, in addition to
0: the nice things about the Knicks situation, as it's we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And right now,
2: the thing you didn't mention, but I know you're always thinking it, is they're in a major media market, right? Which is the one thing that we have never, um, or sorry, we've seen once um the Knicks be in a major media market and have a competent team we've seen it once in the last 20 years and um a guy who was thought of as one of the five or ten best players in the league at that time forced to trade here so um you know I think that the end result of this is like is it a do I agree do we agree with Windhorse that it like doesn't matter at all no I don't I don't think either of us agree with that. However, I think there is something to the notion of like they've already accomplished what they need to accomplish this season. And part of that um, seamless transition is because of how the young players um, have progressed. Let's do uh, a quick progress report here. Let's see. Let's see. What do we want to? <laughs> I just saw. So Andrew does our, our rundown for the show. He snuck in Ignace Brasdakis onto the progress report because I guess it's important that we say Iggy Brasdakis got cut from
1: the Sixers. OK. Duly noted. Anything else, Andrew? On that that you want to be- You're welcome, Oz. I know that that is 100 percent something you were tuning in for. So yes. our dearly departed and potentially but- unemployed. Ignace Brasdakis. But,
2: you know, it lends some credence to the notion that, hey, maybe this front office knows what they're doing. You know, they traded away a guy who um, a lot of fans were like, oh, my God, I'm going trade this guy away. If he just got time, he'd be, the, you know, the second coming. Well, maybe not. OK, so um, let's save RJ for, for last. Um, I'm going to start lowest on the totem pole. Obi Toppin. I thought Obi Toppin had a nice week. And I thought in particular, Obi Toppin had a nice night on Saturday. Um, I'm not going to say too much on him because I have a big Obi section in, in Monday's newsletter. Um, but I think it's I think it's encouraging that he looks like a basketball player again. And I think a lot of that has to do with Derrick Rose. Um, and I'm, ex- I'm actually genuinely excited to see the rest of Obi Toppin's rookie year, um, which is not something I th- think I would have said at any point in like the last, I don't know, month and a half, two months.
3: Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, Derek Rose absolutely is the key in so many ways to unlocking him. I think as well, if Randall's going to struggle and we saw this, especially in the Grizzlies game where Randall was in early foul trouble, which brought Obi into the first quarter for what felt like, I mean, I don't want to say it was the first time all season, but it kind of felt like it. It's well, very possible he got in there earlier in other I, games, but I
2: will say I went and looked it up the 15 minutes he played or the, there There have been uh, games where he's played more than 15 minutes over the last couple months. But if you look at them, they were all games that were out of hand one way or another. This is the most he's played in a game where it's like, it was a, a close game throughout since late January. So, you know, and he, and he held his own. I didn't
3: think he looked at a place. Yeah, he absolutely did. Um But I agree. It's, it's the sort of thing where, especially when you ha- you're spending the eighth pick on a player and they're a little bit on the older side and you're seeing all these other guys take steps forward and you're thinking, well, why can't it be this guy? Especially with the idea of nepotism and training and everything yeah. that went on in the pre-draft um, scenario that, that wanting him to prosper is something to absolutely look forward to. And a lot of times he feels like an afterthought because, of, because things are going well. And it's not yeah. like the sky is falling. And it's that's like, oh great, my God, Obi Toppin is, is on top of all of this, like looking like, like crap. And he's not, he's, he's starting to show signs of life. And it just, he's been a late bloomer pretty much everywhere he's gone. So it's great that he's finally showing some signs of growth. And, and as you said, I'm really eager to see how he finishes the rest of the season.
2: And, and one more thing on that. It, I think it's helped that like the guy that, like there's there's always a guy that we passed on, right? And the guy in this instance that we passed on is Tyrese Halliburton. We got another guy that plays Halliburton's position, different sort of player. But the fact that we got quickly, I think dulls that uh, or uh, blunts the whatever the, the pain or whatever. Um, in addition, as opposed to with Kevin Knox and and Michael Porter Jr., who like essentially they're exa- exactly the same profile of player, except one is really good and. The other is Kevin Knox. Yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, Did you want to add something, Jeremy? I was just
3: thinking in terms of Halliburton, you know, he's really playing in an off ball role. He's a secondary ball handler. He's not,
2: this isn't Donovan Mitchell that they passed on.
3: Right. And so there's this idea of having or passing on Halliburton being like, well, you still could have had, look again, Halliburton does nothing to solve what I think is the most important issue that the Knicks have, which is not having a solid half court, um creator and facilitator at the point. 100%. And he's not going to fix that. And yeah. so you're just basically having someone in a different role, basically in the quickly role. Um, again, you don't you don't need two of those guys, especially when you have Reggie Bullock playing well. So you you can and and the other context, of course, is that with Obi and with Randall, Randall did not look like Randall. Randall looked like last like most of last 15 games, Randall, and that was on a good night last year in a lot of ways. So When you consider what Randall was and and what he is now, obviously the OB pick, I can understand that people feel it's a mistake, especially when we see other talent around that range. But again, the context was just completely different at the time. And there's still time for that book to be written. We're in chapter one of what should hopefully be a 10 plus year career for the guy. There's a
2: ton of time and I feel okay saying that and I know I probably said that about Kevin Knox once upon a time I think we might be a little bit different um, quickly I don't think we, talk, we need to talk about quickly a lot other than the fact that like he needed a good game and more importantly the Knicks needed a good game from him um, you want another I'm, I'm spoiling my column left and right here um, you want another fun stat on Emmanuel quickly give it to me uh, <laughs> there you go um, so let me find it of course uh, okay so Emmanuel quickly in games where Emmanuel quickly shoots at least 40% from the field. Um, what do you think the Knicks it's 21 games. What do you think the Knicks record is in those 21 games?
3: When he shoots at least 40% from the 40%, field. 21 games, I'm going to say 13 and eight. Uh, they're 15 and six when Emmanuel quickly
2: shoots, uh, hits a third or fewer of his shots. So this is inclusive of games where he is, uh, shoots 33%. Um, get 22 of those games. What do you think their record is in those games?
3: Where, I'm sorry, where he, he hits under
2: what? A third or fewer. So he, d- he does not hit more than a third of his shots. And it's 22.
3: 22, yeah. I'm going to say six and 16. Exactly.
2: They're six and 16. So, and there's other stats like that. There's, I, I think I quoted one last week about when he hits double figures. Um, there's, you know, stats of him like hitting three. He is just, again, Julius Randle's is their most important player. I don't think there's any disputing that, but like at the same time, Julius Randle had a shitty game the other night. I know he had a triple double. He did not have a good game and they won that game. And I think quickly getting 20 and I know, and let good transition to RJ, um, had a lot to do with it, but um save the best for last. So we'll, we'll end on this. RJ Barrett. It's interesting. I, I went on Chip Murphy's uh show uh yesterday. I think the pod dropped today. And the, what they wanted to talk about was like RJ getting disrespected by the ESPN list and like general disrespect. And I feel like that's been a point of, of conversation on the live streams and like on Twitter. I'm like, I don't know, maybe just because I'm so focused on what I focus on, which is similar to what you focus on. I don't care about that. that's That's not a narrative I'm interested in. I don't give a shit about it. I just want to see him play well and help them win games. And boy, did he help them win that game. And um, that was just, I, 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 I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it sounds like. I don't care what it smells like. He is, he is helping them win basketball games,
3: which is just awesome to see. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, again, I mean, with ESPN, we're doing exactly what they want. The fact is that- We're fucking up, talking about it. Right, they came up with a list that they know is clearly flawed.
2: Still did not get my click, motherfucker, by the I,
3: way, if I you're know, out there. Me neither. The, the man. Thank you for those who compiled the list before. But no, they they took this and they put LaMelo Ball third, for example, and then Stephen A. used that as a way to talk about it on first take. And they've just completely you know, gone on launching pad and all these other fans- bringing attention to it. And yeah. that's why I really didn't want to talk about it because it was just bringing more attention to it. I think we can all agree that he is a top player under 25, uh, at least at, you know one of the 25 best. I would certainly put him ahead of, I don't know, like Jared Allen, for example. Yeah. Um, but I think the other factor here is a lot of those players that they listed are guys who are already on their second contract. So if your prime is around 26, 27 years old, then you're comparing someone who has already like been in the league for maybe five to six years versus players who are like not even halfway through the rookie deal. So, you know, again, he's, he's been magnificent, especially in the last three games. I mean, he really turned it on in the fourth quarter and overtime was yep. sluggish, at least in the Memphis game. He was sluggish in the first half, but I think as, as was
2: everybody. In the game,
3: exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, except Derek Rose. Right. And yes. Um, And the other thing with RJ is really, you know, he's showing he can be clutch. And that is something that Randall's really not doing. And there's going to come a certain point where, and I know they did it in the Miami game uh, where he missed the layup uh, in Miami one, but where they used Randall as a decoy. And then they had RJ cut, RJ cut to the rim. At a certain point, teams are going to get smart enough to be like, "No, no, no, RJ is going to be their primary guy right now. When, when things matter most, um, but there's another great article that came out today, actually. I, I can't remember the exact source of it, but it was in somewhat of an interview with uh, Drew Hanlon, who basically no, found ways that they want to improve. And uh, RJ wrote Hanlon and said, you know, come down to Florida Mont Montverde for 35 days and let's just go over this. So, you know, we'll be near the bubble, but no one was going to be there. Um and just a time to focus on. And what was so beneficial to this development was there was no rush. There was no, like, we have to get this down pat because the NBA offseason is on the shorter side. Mm-hmm. And then when you consider the fact that the Olympics are coming up and RJ is most likely going to play for team Canada uh, and the windows that the Knicks have, there's just not going to be a whole lot of time. And that's why they've set up a multi-year plan for how RJ can improve, which as a Knicks fan, you love to hear that because basically what Hanlon was saying was uh, we don't really want RJ to just kind of be a master of none for a lot of these different things. We want him to, to focus on like pull-up jumpers next year. Uh, And then after that, well, we can do other things. And, and, you know, there's a plan in place and with RJ's work ethic, it's wonderful to see that. So, I, I mean, that's, that's, I think the other thing when, when we see these close losses, I don't look at them as like these mercenary vets, just, screwing things up. I look at it as these are opportunities for RJ Barrett in the clutch when the game is on the line to get that experience. And this idea of having other high usage players, just for the sake of being high usage around him, who would be taking the ball out of his hands when you want him to have the ball and to grow as a player when it really matters. That's what's so important to me and something to consider moving forward for next year and the year after and in general when you put pieces around rj barrett
2: there's no world where this team moving forward um does not feature rj barrett in a prominent way like we're not there's 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 no world where they'll like well it's funny that i'm going to invoke the name of this player shout out to Trinity pooh there's no way where rj barrett gets like karis laverted right Right. And he becomes like an ancillary somewhat expendable um, piece. Like that's not happening. Um, so uh, that is very exciting. Um, I think, yeah, I think you, you said, oh, I, the, the thing about working on in the off season, if who was it like, I feel like it, it was Kobe, LeBron, or maybe all these great players. Like they pick one or two things to work on each, each off season. Like, it feels like that's a thing that really great players do. So to hear that he's doing it is, um, is awesome. Okay, um, that's enough for this segment of the pod. Uh, stick around. We'll be, uh, we'll be right back um, with uh, maybe another 10 minutes of discussion um, unless tonight goes really bad. <laughs> just, we don't want to talk about it anymore. No, we'll be back to, to put a cap on this uh, a little bit later.
0: Randall, a perfect 10 for 10 from the free throw line tonight. And they get 11 in a row. They should just go to the locker room now. Wow, he throws it, Boucher falls down, and that'll do it. Knicks win another nail-biter, another close game, and they're back to 500. Julius Randle with some very big free throws. R.J. Barrett with another huge three at crunch time. And the Knicks avoid a big collapse after blowing an 18-point lead, falling behind by as many as four here in the fourth quarter. They come back. And get the victory against the Raptors. An auspicious game for RJ against his hometown team. That was the dagger right there, the coup de grace from the corner with the three balls.
2: All right, and we're back. We are back. It is 11:20 p.m. in the in the evening, as as it were, with the p.m. Um, the Knicks have won um, a thrilling game. I'm still coming coming down uh, from from floating uh, a little bit off the floor. Uh, off of that win, as I'm sure we all are. Um, If you want to hear the full thoughts on the game itself, uh, check out your stream right now. You should already see the um, post-game live stream in podcast form. Um, But um, before we get to a very quick wrap-up on our conversation that we had um, just a little while ago, Jeremy Cohen, thoughts on the win?
3: Fantastic. I mean, you obviously (laughs) would hope that it wouldn't be nearly as close as it was. You Uh, That third quarter certainly got dicey, and the Knicks have just been completely anemic in um, fourth quarters recently, the first half of the fourth quarters. Yep. Derek Rose, not, I think, being back to his usual self is really hurting the team to the point where offense is just really hard to come by. So, yeah, I mean, the Gary Trent Jr. and Siakam did a fantastic job of bringing Toronto back. Yep. Uh, I, I feel like that uh, Flynn turnover, Huge. massive. But it, it felt like a nice, also, uh it felt like karma for when Bullock stepped on the line. And obviously and we didn't um, make I,
2: that shot, but still, I mean. We got it, jobbed by the refs a few other times tonight. So I think it, I everything, everything works out in the end. Yeah. Um, okay, so very quick revisiting of our conversation. We had this conversation, what, six hours ago. Was this game really going to matter? I think we both agreed, like, ah, it doesn't mean nothing, but it doesn't mean everything or everything, anything close to everything. Um Coming off of this, gosh, see, this is why it's so tough, and why I think, as a fan, I don't know that I'm in a uh, either any of us are in a good position to really say definitively because I'm sitting here and I'm feeling these vibes, and like I want to, you want, I think I want to think that the players are feeling the same thing, that same level of hype, and you know all of the emotions like felt like, yes, we got it. Two in a row, two great wins in a row. But, you know, these are also professional athletes. This is a business to them. And are, are they feeling the same things as us? Like, we don't know. I just, again, it's it's tough for me to watch a game like that and think that the rest of the season is j- whether they, it, you know, them going, you know, six and 12 down the stretch is the same thing as them going 12 and six. And them getting the ninth seed and losing a tough game in the play-in is, is not different than them getting the six seed and get you know not having to play that and being able to call themselves a playoff team for the first time in however many years. Like I don't. Where where, where are you? so I think I'm I think I'm kind of reverting a little bit from my position earlier in the podcast. Where where are you at? You're
3: more steady than me, Jeremy. Where are you at? I'm fine. I think that look when you look at the standings, the Knicks have a six game cushion in between where they're at. And where the Raptors are. And so when you just look at that baseline of 18 games, uh, you'd have to really shit the bed in order for the Raptors to lap you. So I'm feeling good. But again, it's like, what is the goal here? Is the goal to finish seventh or eighth? Is it to finish sixth? Uh, Is it to finish fourth or fifth? I think the answer is pretty clear. Getting to that fourth seed, fifth seed category, that's where you really want to be. So this was vital, but it also like, to me, it kind of raised the floor. And it kept the ceiling open a little bit more too, in terms of what this team can be, because I mean, just looking with this win, the Knicks are now only two games back of Atlanta for the fifth seed, one game back of being tied with Miami for, excuse me, Atlanta for the fourth seed, one game back with Miami. um, And also Charlotte's tied with Miami and Boston is um, they don't have the same record, but they're, they're mathematically tied. So it's all this, this great cluster, and you've got Indiana right behind. So this was a crucial win in the sense that I would have felt confident that the Knicks could have or could move on to that play-in tournament. Um, but this really kind of uh, recertified those feelings.
2: Well said. Um, also, you get to go first this week for the predictions. <laughs> that I do. Uh, uh, I'll read the schedule. Hang on one sec. Let me pull up our trusty, uh, trusty spreadsheet here. Okay, we have um, tomorrow uh, or today as you're listening to this versus L.A. at home, two road games, New Orleans and Dallas, and then Sunday 1 p.m. at home. Is that New Orleans again?
3: Yeah, I guess that's New Orleans again.
2: Okay, so four games. Go for it. I'm going to
3: say two and two. I think it's safe baseline. Fuck all the way off. Um, Three and one.
2: And that, and that is all she wrote. And on that note, we're going to we're gonna wrap this one up real quick because Jeremy needs to go to bed because he is a trooper. Thank you, Jeremy, for joining. Um, anything you want to say before we get out of here?
3: Uh, I think the walls are moving. It's, <laughs> I've, I've been up for like 18 hours, and the four hours I was able to sleep was just like in and out. I was saying to Andrew and John beforehand that I, I think I was dreaming in French uh, because I was watching Call My Agent, and it just it kind of like, got through to it, it, I'm a mess. So this has been great. Uh, this is now my Willis Reed performance. The first part was my flu game. This is now Willis Reed. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad we could go to bed with a next one. Thank you, Jeremy.
2: You are the man. Thank you, Andrew. You're also the man, everybody out there. Thank you for listening to another episode of the next film school podcast. We love you. Um, we love this team. Um, and we love you. That is it. Um, Don't forget, uh, rate us, review us, uh, all the things. Check out the merch store, um, which you could find the link to in the description to this podcast. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, the description to the YouTube. And um, yeah, we'll be back with you another episode very soon.